Frank, I have some exciting news. Oh, I love news. Please don't let it be virus related. Not interested. For the very first time, Frank, it's, it's, it's adjacent. For the very first time, Frank, I'm attending WWDC. <gasps> Bruv. Oh, now I get the joke. Yeah. Punchline. But um bump Sad trombone. Um, do you want to explain yourself? <laughs> yeah. We're all attending WWDC. Yes, and we're all attending Build and Google I.O. We're attending all of them, Frank. We're doing it. I made a, I think it was a really funny joke on Twitter. I said, these virtual conferences are going viral. Oh. I thought it was kind of funny. Oh, it's funny. They're going viral. Okay. I get it. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I got it. I got it. it. Okay. I got I'm going to stop. Okay. Uh, dum bump <laughs> Now... <laughs> Traditionally, we we have always watched the WWDC keynote uh, live, usually together. Um, back in the day, in the Xamarin days, we would all get into a room in Boston and like we would all, or in San Francisco, we'd all watch it together, like all the, the engineering and the evangelists, we'd all be there during this time. Um, I've also gone to Google I.O., but for WWDC, it's a lot harder to get tickets. It's, it's hard to get tickets for all of them. But I'm really excited this year because there are so many interesting topics that I don't want to have to wait weeks or even days for. I I can just tune in if I want to. I think, I don't know. No one's announced anything. I'm just assuming that this is how it's going to work. I can just go and watch stuff on demand, like live. And I'm excited. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping so too. Um, I think the general trend has been in that direction. As far as I know, um, they were releasing videos maybe the day after last year. This is Apple. And Microsoft has... Oof, what like day of they usually release videos right for at least for their big conferences and things like that so i think um the big companies have definitely been gearing up for this this is really just like the stress year where they're just you know it's all in and so they have to rely on it i'm curious to see if um the wwdc app gets any like cool upgrades or any like i don't know chat room stuff maybe that would be disastrous maybe they better not change it (laughs) i don't know it works fairly well on twitch but the problem is if you have too many people you have to have moderators it's a whole big ordeal and sometimes people can't be trusted frank that's or bots really bots can't be trusted yeah let's just be honest well they would have to invent some kind of virtual currency they would have to come up with a subscription model some kind of emoji support like yeah it's a whole thing (laughs) if there's only some digital streaming software that was out there that already did this (laughs) Um, that we had talked about last week, funnily enough. But, you know, I'm actually uh, excited. I I listened to another podcast, a gaming podcast, the Cheap Ass Gamer podcast for like years upon years now. And they were disappointed that E3 was getting canceled um, and that everyone's doing sort of streaming keynotes. And I've I've went to an E3 a long time ago, but I've always watched Nintendo, Sony and Microsoft stream their keynotes. And they were joking that maybe all three of them will fly to a remote location and I'll watch all the keynotes and any sessions from a hotel and like have like a spa E3 kind of uh, keynote. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll do like a WDC, like mini destination, like just you and I can drive somewhere, maybe uh, to Brian's house, cabin in the woods, and then watch the WWDC keynote. I like the idea of having like a big projector. Maybe we can just get, yeah, like a nice big room with a nice big projector. That'd be kind of fun. I think the flying part doesn't sound too attractive, at least today. Hopefully things will calm down by June a little bit, hopefully. (laughs) And so, yeah. Um, But yeah, I would drive. We could do a driving destination, WWDC. 
destination dubbed D dub dub DC. No, doesn't make any sense. Don't go with that. <laughs> <laughs> they can do it. Well, anyways, uh, that was my big exciting news. So well, there's that. Yeah, it, I, it really is kind of crazy. I didn't know they were going to, I didn't, when I made that terrible joke, I honestly didn't think that so many things would change. So it's going to be a really interesting year. And it is, I mean, you made a point. It's, it's going to be kind of fun because, yeah, everyone will be able to attend. Maybe I'll actually pay attention to Google I.O. this year. Who knows? Stay tuned. You never know. Will Frank care about a Google product? Who knows? It's a mystery. Uh, all right. Well, I have an actual yeah. topic. So no more virus talk um, because... We're five minutes in, so that's as much as we're allowed to talk about it on this podcast, because <laughs> I have been building an app live streaming for a year and a half now, the Hanselman app forever, right? And I recently um, started to swap out a bunch of third-party like media playback controls and a bunch of other third-party controls with built-in video players and audio players that Xamarin Forms has. I started to actually add more functionality due to this to the application. And when I started to do non-data things, okay, because when you do data things, like displaying a list, doing some input, navigating around, um, the entire model of architecture, whether using MVC, MVU, MVVM, the data binding stuff, that all works really well. The whole idea of here's a bunch of data, display the data, and when I click on something, go get the data. The problem I started to have when I started to go deeper into making my application play audio and video back elegantly is that that stuff doesn't really play nice with these architectural models of completely separating your view model and your view. So what I started to do, Frank, was just put all the code in the code behind, right oh, in gosh. the code behind the UI. No one cares. It doesn't matter, Frank. Just put it all in the code behind. And I was very happy. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're talking about not MVVM. Is that a thing? Like, it's going to be not MVVM. <laughs> um, this is scary, James, because I know you love your MVVM, and I use your MVVM helpers. So this is this is quite radical. I hope it's just a temporary thing, but we'll we'll talk our way through it and find out what's really happening here. But I can take some guesses. Um, I, I deal with media elements, too, from time to time, and they're quite procedural. It's like, call this function, wait for this event, do this thing, do that thing, coordinate with this other thing. There's a lot of proceduralism and coordination to be done. And it's hard to do that in a declarative way with data binding and view models. Did something like that occur? I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I think you really somewhat hit the nail on the head. I think it comes also down to that there is fundamentally a piece of user interface that has so much to it. It's not just displaying, it's not just displaying data or something that's static. It is dynamic. There is something that has to load that you have to skip forward or back that um, requires input that requires a direct connection to the source. Um, and that's the difference in something like this media playback is that all of the other UI 
can be very loosely coupled. But this specific piece of user interface, I think really needs to be tightly coupled to make it good, um, to be honest with you, because of the points that you made. Yeah. Um, so I want to delve into whether it's a performance thing or if it's a correctness thing. Like, wh why do you feel the need to kind of abandon the the binding system, but I'm also playing devil's advocate because I don't use data binding. <laughs> I've never, I've never bought fully into it. I think it's very nice for, this is all my opinion. This is, you know, speaking for myself here. It's nice for entry forms, data forms, like web forms, honestly, where you have a bunch of text boxes, very basic input controls and, you know, some validation, stuff like that. MVVM is absolutely glorious for those scenarios. Um, but when you're coordinating a million different services and trying to pipe through a bunch of data, uh, designing declarative models, I keep falling back on that, these declarative models, because that's what I think of with um, data binding in MVVM, is you're saying, here's the data I want to present. It's nothing about behavior. It doesn't talk anything about change or what happened. How did this change data change? How should it react to it? It's just, here's the data do something with that. Yeah. And, and specifically I'm still using a lot of MVVM data binding in the application and even on this page to display the title to, um, to navigate back and forth between some different pieces of content. So to display some things and gather the data, there's a view model. And when I went into this sort of user interface, um, setup, I started to have to take a step back and say, well, why, why would I want to put it in the view model, right? The whole idea of the view model is to separate my, my general business logic from my UI and also to make it very testable, right? Cause the idea is I can have a, I can call a method in my view model. It should go do something and return something. And that should be testable. But what am I testing if I'm somehow telling the media player to start buffering, stop or start. Like it didn't really make a <laughs> lot of sense to me in a way because the media element in its entirety is doing all of the heavy lifting. I am just giving it commands to do. And those commands are all 100% UI commands. Yeah. That's why I just keep falling back on this is proceduralism versus data here. You know, this is step one, step two, step three, wait for event, step four, step five versus here's what I want in the end, that declarative thing. I keep falling back on it. Um, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I'm glad that you're sticking with data binding for the majority of your app because that makes absolute perfect sense. Um I'm trying to think, though, um, could you give me a little high-level overview of what media controls you're talking about in Forms? So you mentioned, like, it's going to have play pause, probably some kind of skip forward, skip back. Are, are these, like, async functions, I assume? Yeah, so so here's how it's it's sort of set up in a way, is there's a new media element control inside of Xamarin Forms. And this is a very, very cool control because what it does is it can play audio and video on a control. Just it's there. Mm -hmm. um, and it does a few things. So it um, is able to seek to a location. You just set the current position to whatever you want. Um, you can tell it to start playing, to stop playing. You can have it auto play. Um, you can, um, yeah 
that's basically mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, right? yeah. it's all you start, <laughs> stop. You know, load. Here's the here's the the thing to play, and then go from mm-hmm. there. And you get events, right? So you get an event when the media is opened. So here's an example: is when the media is opened, which means that um, it either is a file on disk or it's a URL, and it's it it it's can be played. Um, I do one of two things. I uh, first see if I should seek. So if I should go to a position. So whenever the user is watching a video, I sort of save the position, like when they stop or whatever. So if they have never watched the video before, as soon as the media is opened, I say media element play. Um, and, and then I'm done. Um, else what I'll do is I will, um, tell it to go to a position, a specific position and then hit play basically. So that's what I'll do. And whenever the user navigates away, I will save the current position and stop the video. Yeah. So did you try that MVVM way? So I guess the MVVM way would have been, you would have a is playing Boolean property on the um, view model. And then you would have a trigger on that. Whenever it changed, you would try to keep the state of the view model in sync with the state of the media player control. Even though it's not a view, it's acting as the view here. Did you try that approach at all and you just didn't like it? Is that what happened? I think what I would have had to have done, well, here is that I would have had to, um, I would have had to pass the media element to my view model. And that way I could actually set, I could always data bind the position, but I could have set, I couldn't hit, I can't hit play or stop, right? There's no way to, from my view model, tell it to go, right? I could have done um, something that we call event to command. So mm. this is a cool thing in MVVM, which allows you to take any event. So normal event handler, like um, someone clicked on something or the media opened in this case, you can create like a little adapter that says, hey, whenever this event happens, actually call this command in my view control or my view model. So when that media opened, or when the media failed or something, I could have gotten a command that I then could have yeah. played it or done the position. But then again, like, how do I tell it? How do I go the other way around where I'm telling from the view model, go call this method on the element? And that just seemed like a lot of hoopla, I guess. Yeah. Like, how do I even it, test it that? You know? I mean, it sounded you know, just high level architecturally, it didn't sound too bad. Like if everything you just said could be expressed in, you know, three words in code, fine, great, you know, uh, turn this event into a command on this command, you know, hit play, hit pause, whatever you got to do to that object. Um, But I guess it's really just, it comes down to how much work is it actually to set up all that infrastructure. And as you said, is it worth it? Like, what are you buying yourself in it? I'm trying to decide if there's anything to be gained by testability, and I'm still debating, honestly, um, if your view model needs a direct reference (laughs) to the media (laughs) element. But I think um, unless the media element was set up itself to have like bindable properties and all that, yeah, you're kind of stuck with uh, that procedural, yeah, play, pause, calling commands. Yeah, here's another one. Here's another one for you is... um, I have this in a modal dialog pop-up and um, whenever the user wants to leave that page, there's a X on the top right to like close it, uh, mm-hmm. you know? 
mm-hmm. standard sort of modal dialogue that you would expect. Um, but I don't want that X to always be there when the user is playing the video. That'd be kind of annoying, right? Mm-hmm. So what I do is I have a little timer that says, hey, every after three seconds, fade away, like fade that button to zero. And then if someone taps on the screen, it will fade that X back in and restart the timer and then fade it away. So you could then close the application. But that is 100% UI work. I mean, I'm literally checking opacity. I'm doing an animation <laughs> and I'm you know checking. I'm, I'm starting and stopping timers to fade in and out that control. And I was like, I don't I could do that, I guess, in my view model, but I'm not really sure what I'm buying there. Does that make yeah. sense? Like, that's just another example of this page. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are all the arguments I was giving 10 years ago. I just really want to hear them echoed back to me because it's just delightful. <laughs> well, let's keep echoing, Frank, but let's first take a break and thank our amazing sponsor this week, Sync Fusion. Yes, Sync Fusion is back sponsoring the pod for 2020, and we cannot thank them enough. Listen, if you have never used Sync Fusion, today is the day, March 16th, that day when this podcast comes out, when you're probably listening or after. Today's the day for you to try SyncFusion in your application. Listen, go to syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. They have the world's best UI component suite for building applications for anything, web, desktop, mobile apps, you name it. Basically any language, any platform, you're there. I use it in a bunch of my Xamarin applications. It gives you beautiful charts, graphs, clickers, tree views, tab views, cards, carousel view, list views, dashboards, anything that you could possibly think of. They even have a free community edition. It's absolutely stunning. You can go on there, download their trial applications, give it a go. They just updated their website. It looks absolutely stunning. They're doing great work. Today's the day. Go put Syncfusion into your applications. Syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this week's pod. Thank you, Syncfusion. It's good to have them back. Yeah. Awesome. Those <sighs> fancy controls. Hey, so I think something we're getting at here um, that we don't talk about enough, but I love talking about is just how messy UIs are and how convoluted some of the code gets to be. It, humans are kind of messy, funny creatures, the way we want things to work, the way we expect things to work. And that always, it doesn't always fit with our beautiful ontologies of how code should work and our architectures and all these things. We, I mean, if you want to make a user interface that is delightful to use and just feels natural and feels, yeah, just good from a user perspective, you have to put in a ton of code and a ton of work. None of that is free. The default controls are okay. They're satisfactory. But to make a UI good, it's a lot of effort and it's a lot of messy code to be thoroughly honest. And I've kind of always felt that way. So all these attempts to make that code organized and to deal with it, they're great attempts, they're valiant efforts, but sometimes they break down. Yeah. I just think when you're dealing directly with the UI so much and interactions with the UI, anything beyond a simple button click, I just feel like you got to get in there. And in fact, I look at a lot what like Kim Philpotts does on his stream when he's building these beautiful um, user interfaces. And they're all almost in Skiasharp, which by itself is a very UI driven um, or code driven UI. But when I look at his 
um, source code, all of his animations, all of his touch, the drag events. I mean, those are UI interactions. And for those, you just can't put them into another source file. They're, intrinsically, you can put those together. And it brings me back to the day. Like, I remember the first iOS application I made and the MVC sort of approach of it, the controller approach of it, which was, hey, you have at the time a nib file, but you have this nib mm -hmm. file and there is a button. And when you just access it from the code behind and like you do all of your interactions in that view controller because it's a view controller and it's going to control the view. And when you're doing interactions, when you're doing anything, you simply do it there. And I'm like, why am I trying to make my XAML.cs file clean? Why does it have to be one line of code, which is initialize and create the binding? Like if I want to create these beautiful stunning things, you're right. UI is messy. And I think it's okay to have a little bit of messy stuff back there. Yeah. That's what private is for. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's true. That's true. No one's allowed to see that <laughs> or yeah. code regions. Uh, below be animations. Do not read the animation code. Uh, you're making me think, though, um, we do like our extremes because you said MVC, and that's kind of my preferred model. That's how I generally write my apps. I'm a little shorter than that sometimes. Usually I'm MC <laughs> model to, or MV, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> skip the C. Um, but the problem with MVC is when you're doing something that's you know, a big long form or has a million different labels in it, each one dynamically updating, it's honestly a pain. It's a pain because you have to subscribe to events, manually set the properties on the views, do all that stuff. Uh, so I think that's why MVVM was created because we're all like, data binding's a pain. We need a better way to do data binding. But it's funny because we swung 100% in the other direction of, okay, let's do everything with data binding. It's like, no, you know, actually the happy, maybe there's a happy medium ground between MVC, MVC and MVVM, or maybe just one suitable in some scenarios, whereas the other is uh, less suitable. It's interesting. I'm really liking this topic. Anytime I can argue, sorry, anytime I can argue MVC versus MVM, it's a good topic. No, I mean, I, I think that's a good way of putting it. Where is that happy medium in between? Because that's what I'm trying to reach in my code. And I also believe that when you swing too far in one way, it becomes, it becomes a little bit hard to attract new developers or have it the onboarding process easily because if someone just wants to create an application for iOS or Android or even with Xamarin, right? You should be able to just file new, put some stuff in there, do some things in the code behind it, be done. Like that should be sort of the on nice, elegant onboarding. When you have to learn an entire architecture to get Hello World on the page, I feel like that is an issue. Yeah. I was trying to think also um, the new kind of React architectures out there. So, React itself, um, fabulous in the F-sharp world, or um, Blazor itself, or even um, what, what's the Blazor for forms? What's it called? Blazor mobile bindings. Blazor mobile bindings. Experimental. <laughs> Experimental. Experimental Blazor mobile bindings. There you go. Um, that, yeah. That's kind of the React model also. Mm -hmm. It's the component, componentized, you know, generate the, uh, generate the UI from the data. 
But I'm thinking that kind of has the same shortcomings of MVVM in this case, because in your case, again, procedural, you want to be like, do this, do this, do this, wait for this, do this, do this, do this. And I'm not even sure if you can uh, represent that that well in the React style of programming. So MVC is really coming out king here. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that at least having some sort of hybrid approach by it. one thing that I've always done that I think a lot of people were like, a, some people have been disappointed in me that I never went to the extent of putting a lot of my um, navigation into my view model or having some sort of view to view model binding layer, like, hey, this thing is associated with it. And I guess I could have, but I never thought it was naughty to say I'm on page one and when someone clicks a button, tell it in the code behind to go to page two. I always thought that that was okay for me because that's how I've always done it in iOS and Android in my activity or my fragment mm-hmm. or in my UI view controller. I always thought that that was okay, you know, because even when I did iOS work, by the way, I still used MVVM in quotes because the architectural pattern I did was that my view controller was my view and I still had a view model in my models over here, but I would just call methods and await on them. And I didn't have any binding glue in between, you know, I just sort of use it how I used to. And I sort of think that like, maybe that is okay to do it that way. Hey, let my, let my, um, let my models a bind. Like I have an observe, I have an observable collection. I have, you know, things that have properties on them, but maybe it's okay that I have a button click. And when I have a button click, I, you know, show a little spinner, do a little animation, and then (laughs) go get the data. Like, I think that might be okay. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. (laughs) No, you should have 30 different properties describing exactly what you want that animation to do and make that all test. Um, Navigation's hard. Every app navigation's hard. I was actually just writing an app in Wii, my own UI library, and I was like, ooh, navigation's hard. (laughs) There's some features that I need in Wii to make navigation a little bit better and things like that. So, you know, even things I've designed myself, I still screw up navigation. I I really applaud um, uh, Shell, the Xamarin Forms Shell work. I don't personally use it, but I kind of wish I did because I think that's a really nice way to structure an app, even when you're just thinking through an app, like here are the pages of the app. Anytime anyone's ever come um, with an idea for an app for me and they want to work it out, I'm like, okay, let's write down all the pages, which page goes to which page, that kind of stuff. And then how do you feel about URLs as your navigation item. I think it's kind of, it was the technique uh, used in, I think, gosh, I can't even remember. Did WPF use it? Silverlight definitely used it. And I think Xamarin Forms has adopted it. So their answer to navigation generally is uh, tag something with a URL. Do you do that? So with Shell, that is the new Shell URL navigation. And yeah, I think Silverlight and Windows Phone did it. That sounds right. (laughs) Maybe others have done it. So here's my ups and downs of it. I'm actually converting Hanselman Forms to be 100%. It already is shell based, but it's not all in on shell. It still uses the old navigation in many places. So I am going all in on URL navigation on this app. So that's your abstraction. Let me just interrupt. That's your abstraction. So don't feel bad about oh, my button on click handler has a open URL in it because that open URL 
is the abstraction. It's just, yeah, you're not all going through the same view model, but even then you could, you could just put that URL into the view model or things like that. Yeah. So I, navigation's hard. Don't, don't feel bad about yourself for breaking an architecture because it's going to make your app more usable. Make your navigation good. Make your UI good. Yeah. Be damned the <laughs> architecture. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. And, and, and I am going in on it. I think that one thing that I really, um, like about URL navigation is that it sort of mimics the web, obviously. Um, the, the, the pro is that it is an abstraction. So you just say, Hey, go do this thing and magically resolve it for me, which I like. It's kind of like, um, ASP.net, right? It just, here's some routes and go figure out where to go. Um, one thing that I really like about, I would say, Xamarin forms is URL navigation is that they have these things called query parameters. Um, and I'll post this in our Zencaster of, of how I do it here for you to look at basically line 10 and 11. I'll put this in the, I'll put the handsome, handsome in um, pull request in the, in the show notes. But what it's doing is it's, it's going to say, I'm going to pass a URL with a few identifiers. And in this case I have ID and series ID, and then it sort of does a binding to say, resolve and then set those properties in my view model or in the code behind of the page. Um, and it just does URI, you know, escaping and unescaping of the data string um, and sets those properties. So that's a nice way of saying not only navigate to this page, but pass a little bit of data. Now, that is good and bad because the good part is that I can pass data. The problem that I have is that on the previous page, I already had that data. So how do I pass the entire data object to the other page? And in this form, it's like, well, don't unless you serialize the entire thing, but that would be silly. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> but um, it actually leads to good practices, which is now this page can easily navigate via this URL with an identifier, and then it can resolve itself naturally. So the Negative, like I said, is I can no longer pass the pogo or the poco or the whatever the object is um, to it, the object in memory. But the positive is that when I re-architected the page to use URL navigation and the query parameters is I re-architected my caching layer so I could easily grab and query this information from my cache service that I had my data service. So instead of having to pass things around, like, oh, don't worry, it's up there and it's in my cache. And if it's not in the cache, then go get it. You know what I mean? So that's what I sort of done. Mm-hmm. You are basically a web developer. Yeah. <laughs> I did HTTP is stateless. All you ever get are query parameters. They're just stupid strings. They can't be anything but stupid strings. So you have to go query the database. Querying the database is expensive. So you have a global cache <laughs> that you hit first. I was going to say, um, I, I actually, I really like this approach. I don't use it very much in my apps, but I really like the concept of deep linking and having the UIs kind of separate like that. The downside of it, you already said it eloquently, but I'm going to say it differently. <laughs> um, you have to, by definition now, have a global data source. Mm -hmm. And that always kind of hurt my soul a tiny bit. I like my apps, you know, if someone opens two different files in my app, I would like the, those two bits of data to be very as separate from each other as I can. Two different data sources, two different backings, whatever, two different databases, who knows, doesn't matter, but different things. 
but kind of by definition, if you have to be able to hydrate or load any object, given just its identifier or whatever, you have to have a global data source. All of that said, James, all my apps have a global data source, so I should just get over myself and just <laughs> <laughs> just start using URLs for things. Um, it, it's funny that we uh, got so far into navigation coming from procedural programming, but I think we're just addressing kind of the same thing. These are the cracks in um, the UI architecture, and these are how you're filling the cracks. And I, I like Shell. I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of it. It brings me back to thinking about my data source a little bit more because in in the world in which I don't have to do that, it means my app isn't deep linkable. It means that I'm doing a little bit of shortcuts because I can pass the object around and could I, you know, deep link into this correctly or do other things when I think about the long term of my application to say, oh, okay, it's a, it's okay that I'm, you know, taking a little bit more time to think about that intermediate caching layer. And you're right, it sort of reminds me of a, a website uh, and a little bit more, which are funnily enough, how Google thinks about your Android applications, which are deep links into your applications via their app indexing, because they index your application like a um like a website. Same with um <laughs> um what's that? What's the Siri thing? Yeah. Siri search, right? They index. I think your it's called Siri thing. Siri thing. Siri thing. Siri thing. Yeah. Siri thing. In fact, I, I was gonna bring that up. Um everything that you were describing sounded so much like Android activities to me. Because I remember back in the day before fragments, um you couldn't guarantee that um the process for one page would be the same process for the next uh page or activity, whatever mm. they're called. Mm-hmm. And so you had to serialize your identifiers, have global data sources, do all those little tricks so that you could survive being on multiple activities, especially because that thing would just kill activities and then bring them right back up and all those terrible things. It's, so funny, it's funny. Yeah. It's just a big circle comes back around. You know, actually, I, I should give this feedback to the team now that I think about it is I actually really liked how Google did activities because it, they they sort of did them as URLs because you would sort of say navigate to this activity, but it was a type of it was like this type system, which is a string. Um, yeah. But <laughs> um, what was cool about it is that you could attach um, properties to the intent. So you'd have an intent to go here and then you had a big dictionary, which was I'm going to pass around a bucket of data, which might be like a string or an integer or a Boolean. And then on the other side, I'm going to pull what I need out of that bucket. So instead of um, putting it into a big, huge query string, you can just give these buckets of information. I always thought that was kind of cool. Um, They've kind of gone against that and they've added this app indexing thing on top of it. But I sort of like that where it's like, here's a bucket of data that might be of relevance to you. But again, how do you then put a bucket of data into a string URL? And that's the problem they ran into. But I like that model, which is, Hey, I might be navigating to and from different pieces with different bits of information. I'm going to pass some of this data along with you. But the downside is that people will abuse that and then say, okay, well, serialize the entire object and pass it along as a, as a big blob, Mm -hmm. you know? So. Yeah. I mean, we do it on the web all the time. (laughs) There's actually an encoding for how to convert JSON into friendly URL query strings. (laughs) It's a, it's a whole thing. 
I honestly don't see a big difference between uh, the Android activity system and what we're describing. You know, a property bag versus a query string, they're basically the same thing. I know on Android, um, any objects you put into that property bag had to be serializable by whatever Mm -hmm. their Java definition of that was. And so you were, in all intents and purposes, converting it to a string anyway. So, you know, they were hiding it a little and query strings are making it a little more public and in your face it's really just levels of abstraction though they feel very similar very similar to each other uh navigation's hard just write single page apps (laughs) just hide hide whatever parts of your app you don't need at the time (laughs) i like that it's good 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 approach for for life basically just single page your app in your life that's all i want we keep it simple keep it simple you know, this is what yeah. they used to tell me. They used to tell me to keep it simple back when I worked at Canon. And then yeah. we used to write about 5 billion interfaces. And then, <laughs> um, then you change one and then everything falls over. So, yeah, it depends on your definition of simple. Someone was optimizing something and probably not what they should have been optimizing. You know, all this is just making me wish, though, that I had a more blended style. Because when I am doing like MVVM data binding things using MVC, it's a pain. It's just so much, you know, stupid typing that really isn't necessary in a good data binding system. So I kind of wish we had more gray middle grounds. Well, Frank, that could be something that you create because apparently you just create everything in a weekend. So I already wrote it. It, oh, it's my bind. It's my bind library. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> when you want to bind some things, but not everything. Funnily enough, I before we get out of here. Funnily enough, I was chatting with Luce uh, recently, and uh, she's doing this session on uh, Xamarin development for ASP.NET developers at the .NET oh. Focus on Xamarin event on the twenty third, which everyone should tune into. Um, cool. And she was like, oh, do you have any good diagrams of MVVM? She's like, I've Googled around, but, you know, I just started to do this. And I and I I I, I dug deep into my treasure trove of <laughs> PowerPoint presentations. I, I have an archive of every single presentation I've ever given since I started at Xamarin, which is now oh. six and a half years old. I was going to say that must be a really big directory with a lot of images. I've seen your presentations. You have a lot of pictures. Oh, they are so organized. So there's each of them have years and then every presentation has a folder with the year, month, day on it. So it's mm-hmm. every single one in order by the year, which is great. And then stuff inside of that folder. It, it's spectacular. Um, and I, I dove deep into my 2014 um, talk that I gave on MVVM. And this is before Xamarin forms, before all this stuff. And it was all this stuff. I gave it at, I don't know, VS Live or user group or MVP mix or something like that. And um, I kid you not, I had uh, MVC versus MVVM, how it works, what data binding is. And then I said, well, you know, there is no data binding in iOS and Android. What to do? And then I said, well, don't worry, because there's MVVM cross and a little library called Bind. (gasps) You knew about Bind? Oh, yeah. Back in 2014. Shock. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, that's that is super cool. What a trip. I wonder if it'll make it onto the new slide. No, <laughs> I hope so. Um, bind was super cool. I, my my ambitions were right. I messed up the syntax a little bit, and it has a few little bugs that are frustrating, and that's why I don't use it a lot right now. But the idea is still right. 
really need to write a bind version too. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, Clancy and I have talked about it from time to time because I think we all have settled on how we want it to actually work. Yeah. yeah. That was my small attempt to bridge these two worlds. Pretty good. I like it. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. But don't forget, people, UI is messy, and it's okay to keep it messy. It's okay. You can always clean it up later. That's what I'm thinking. Or just put a region around it and never open that region. Ooh, I like that. And with that, <laughs> that's going to bring us to our end of the pod. We'll put a region around this end and go to town. So you can always hit us up anywhere on the internet at Merge Conflict FM, Patreon, the Twitters, the YouTubes, the Twitches, all the things. Frank is streaming on occasion at twitch.tv slash Frank Kruger. And I, of course, stream at twitch.tv slash James Montemagno. So you can follow us, yell at us, and tell us how much we're wrong or right. So please do that. And that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace.